Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada. God is sovereign, something we often suggest, but is it something we understand? What does it mean? And how does God's sovereignty impact my life? Well, join Dr. Neufeld today as we look at our key verse, Psalm 135, verse 7, in our message, The God of Sovereign Rule, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. I remember a woman, I'm going to call her Grace. She came to church because she had an urge to find out who God was. And over a period of time, I had the opportunity of getting to know her personally, both her and her husband. He had been raised in a Christian home and had become an atheist. In spite of the fact that he had a delightful personality, I soon came to see how deeply wounded and angry he was. There was something about his relationship with his parents that had filled him with resentment, even though he never shared the details with me. As far as I know, he remains an atheist to this day. His wife, Grace, had her own personal wounds. One day, she told me the tragic story of her brother. He had become increasingly depressed and one day had placed a gun into his mouth and Grace told me of how the bullet traveled through the roof of his mouth and tearing into his brain and through the top of his skull. She had deeply loved him and appears never to have come to peace with so horrifying an event. It was at this time that she told me why she came to church and why it is she wanted to know about God. What she wanted to know about God was if he had been there when her brother had taken his life. Had he watched, was he capable of stopping that? And if he watched and was capable of stopping that, did her brother, who never made any attempt to reach out to God, go to hell? And what kind of a God would simply watch over the years as his suffering became more intense until that final moment of his suicide and not stop him and just let it happen? You know, during this series entitled, This Is Our God, we've been studying God. We have discovered that God can be known insofar as he has revealed himself to us. God tells us about himself using words and images that we can understand, describing himself in a manner appropriate to us. We also notice that even though our knowledge of God can be true and accurate knowledge, it's never exhaustive knowledge. God's being is always infinitely greater than we can perceive. But we do know that God is unchangeable and unlimited in power and full of love and grace and wrath and righteousness all at the same time. We came to see that God is the standard of truth and that his knowledge is complete and his wisdom is unsearchable. In order to put all of this together, we need to speak of something Christians often speak about but often don't understand. I mean that God is sovereign, that he rules over all things, or that he governs the universe and this earth and the kingdoms of men. See, the alternative to this view has been called deism. Deism was a very popular view about 200 to 250 years ago when men like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, the founding fathers of the United States, and European thinkers such as Voltaire and John Locke propounded the idea. Deists believed that there was a God of infinite power who created the universe, but that God had also created scientific laws by which the universe would continue to exist without his oversight. And so the deists used the image of a watchmaker. God had wound up the universe like one of those older mechanical watches with a spring in it, and that he would simply allow it to wind down. But he was not actively involved in the world at all. After all, said the old deists, if God made the universe well enough, he doesn't have to intervene and monkey with it constantly. 
And so if the old Deus had talked to Grace about her brother, they would have answered, God was definitely not in the room when your brother took his life. Indeed, he's probably not even aware that it happened. But what does the Bible say? Psalm 47 verse 2 says, For the Lord the Most High is to be feared a great king over all the earth. Or as Malachi 1.14 states, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Psalm 47 verse 8 says, God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. Like an ancient king or like any governor or political ruler, God is pictured as governing the whole world and over the lives of people as well. But and here is the key question. To what extent is God involved in the details? See, if I were to compare this question to rulers of today, I don't expect the Canadian prime minister or the U.S. president to be involved, say, in elementary school curriculums or in local housing development projects or regulating the electrical meters on the side of your house. We expect that world rulers are involved in national and even global issues, leaving local issues to be developed by local officials. Or let me put it another way. Does God simply oversee the major developments, or does he micromanage all the details as well? So how shall we begin? Well, let's start with God's governance over global matters. We've already said that God is a great king who governs the nations, but how so? How does he govern? Well, let's begin by noticing Acts 17, verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And so we see that the sovereign God determines the periods of times in which nations come into being and determines how long that nation should exist, as well as the national boundaries of people groups. We might even say that God governs over the movements of peoples. You know, it's been noted that we're living in a day today of the greatest people movement in history. First, we're living in a day in which people are moving from farms and small villages into large urban centers in a way that has no parallel in human history. Furthermore, we're living in a day in which people are moving across the globe as never before, and this is especially felt in the developed nations, as as people groups from across the globe with vastly different cultures and religions now live across the street from each other. If Acts 17 verse 26 is true, then it is God as king who has been overseeing this matter. He oversees the development of nations. But does God govern the interactions between these nations? Well, yes, he does. Isaiah 37 records the rise and military successes of Assyria as a nation, and then God also oversees as Assyria becomes an empire. And in consequence, Assyria has become quite proud of her military prowess and her great accomplishments. But God speaks to that nation in Isaiah 37, verses 26 and 27. He says, Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what I now bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the fire and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it's grown. 
And so the sovereign God claims that he has, in his governance of the world, determined which empire should flourish and when it flourishes. He also determines when an empire should fall and under which circumstances. You know, that gets repeated in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, which speaks of the next empire after the fall of the Assyrians. It says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Read through the Old Testament prophets long enough, and a very clear picture emerges. God uses nations and their empires for his own purposes. And when that nation serves God's purposes, even though that empire didn't intend it that way, he disposes of them and even punishes them for their evil and then raises up another. I mean, consider the situation today. The most powerful nation on earth is the United States of America, whom God raised up and used for his purposes. And when those purposes are complete, God will raise another nation to take her place. God has been governing in this fashion since the beginning of human history. He is the king over the earth, and even though nations assume that they control their own destiny, they do not. God is sovereign, and the future of nations is in his hands. Of course, read through the Bible and one sees that all of this is going somewhere. After all human kingdoms have come and gone and all human plans have exhausted themselves, God then brings these matters to an end and Christ himself will establish his kingdom that will never end. See, I believe that one aspect of the plans of God is to show that all human kingdoms are deficient and all human plans without God lead only to destruction. And so all history is so arranged that it will vindicate the purposes of God. But if that's how God is operating on a grand global scale, how is he operating on a more local level? Does he also arrange the development of seemingly small things, or does he, like world political leaders, allow those local matters to be settled at the local level? And what should I have told Grace when when she asked me about her brother that took his own life? Was God there and did he govern that? Well, more when we come back. God is sovereign among the nations. He raises up and he brings down according to his purpose and plan, and nothing can stand in his way. But if he is sovereign over the nations on such a grand level, is he also sovereign when it comes to those things which impact my own personal life? Well, let's continue to learn more with Dr. Neufeld right after the break. Well, this is it. Likely the last week we'll be inviting you to join us this July 3rd to the 10th for our first Alaska Adventure Cruise. That's right, there are only a few spaces now available to join us for this incredible journey and take in the wonderful sights and sounds of God's creation. And while we're there... We'll be taking important time to study and be refreshed in God's Word with Dr. John Newfeld, be encouraged and have a good belly laugh with Phil Calloway, and enter into wonderful times of worship and music with guest Amanda Stott. I'm not kidding, there's only a handful of spots left, so don't be disappointed. We'd love to see you there. Information is available at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425 today. 
So let's go back to the Bible now with Dr. John Newfeld. In Psalm 139, verse 8, David says, If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. See, in our study, we've noted that God really is present to all places at all times. There is not one place in all of creation that we can go that God's immediate presence is not found there. And so, you see, it would have done no good whatsoever to tell my friend Grace that God was not there when her brother committed suicide, for he clearly was. But how does God govern in those individual matters? Well, let's allow God to speak for himself. What does God claim about how extensively he governs over the world? Amos 3 verse 6 says, Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? See, God takes credit even for the disasters that befall a city. He's not apologizing for that. He takes credit for it. But still, we're talking about major events. How about the smaller ones? Well, according to Jesus in Matthew 10, verse 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your heavenly Father. So the death of each sparrow, or the death of each seemingly insignificant animal, is due to God's governance over the length of their lives. He oversees not only our deaths, he also determines the exact length of life of every single creature on the earth. Or consider 1 Kings 22 verse 34. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Now, there's a small spot on the king's armor, and it wasn't protected, and a single random arrow struck that small place. At first glance, the use of the word random seems to imply it was a lucky shot, but not when you read the context. A prophet had shown up and told the king of Israel that he would die on that battlefield. What seemed like a random event was directed by God. You can now imagine the arrow that the archer puts in his bow, the wind speed that day, the height of the trajectory that he chose, and easily see that all the details were arranged by God, the one who governs the trajectory of the arrow that flies on the battlefield. Now, if you still don't understand the extent of God's rule, consider Proverbs 16, verse 33. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, put that into our terms. You're playing a board game and you throw the dice. The number that appears is directed by the sovereign rule of God. God claims to oversee the development of nations, the grand movements of people groups, the rise and fall of empires, and he also oversees the lifespan of each housefly and the events that seem incidental and even those events that we thought were simply the result of chance or luck. I have told people who wish me good luck that I actually don't believe there is such a thing. I actually believe in meticulous sovereignty. I'm reminded of Job 42 verse 2, which says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You know, what troubles some folks are verses like Lamentations chapter 3 verses 37 to 38, which says, Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? See, does bad come from the mouth of God? Well, indeed, we need to remember Joseph's word to his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20. 
You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Now, there is a profound mystery here, and it must not be missed. We do live in a world where human beings make real decisions. Those decisions can result in great good, or they can result in profound evil. When a jihadist decides to strap bombs to his body and blows himself up along with other innocent people, the effects are felt for many years and in the lives of many a family. God is not the author of this. The jihadist intended this for evil, for he serves an evil deity. He serves a demon. Indeed, Satan himself is at work to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But all things exist at the permission of God. And unless he commands that the plans of the jihadist would succeed, they cannot do so. But what he intends for evil, God in his unsearchable, long-term eternal plan, plans that are hidden within the secret counsels of God and are in complete conformity to all that is good and lovely and decent, are being fulfilled even as the prince of darkness rages. It was Luther who said that Satan is none other than the unwilling servant of God. What he plans for ill is directed by God for his eternal glory and for the long-term good of those who have been called according to his eternal purposes. In a sense, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God should be so understood that the doctrine of the providence of God should be seen as a subcategory to his sovereignty. God's providence teaches us that God is continually, at each moment in time, involved in all of the creation. He directs all things, not some things, but all things, to fulfill his purposes. Christians should take a great deal of comfort and even joy in this. Failure to understand the providence of God leads some Christians to believe that God is only involved in their lives when a miracle occurs or or some unanticipated event that makes an impact on them. But that's not true. God is involved in all of the events of our lives. Nothing, either large or small, does not have his guiding hand ruling all things for his glory and our long-term good. And yet we act freely as free moral agents. You know, what we've been saying is that all things occur according to the express will of God. That's what Paul is trying to communicate in Romans 11, verse 36. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Did you get that? From God are all things. Or let me turn the sentence around a bit. All things are from God. That would mean that God is the author both of good times and disaster. But God is not the author of evil. He's light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if it helps, think about the crucifixion of Jesus. What an evil event. And yet, listen to the words of Acts 4, 27 to 28. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, listen to this, what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. See, Isaiah states it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. So were the people who killed Jesus free to do what they did? Yes, they acted in freedom. But things were not out of control. God was sovereign, directing even so great an evil for his glory and for our salvation. See, I'm committed to three truths. One, human beings make free moral choices. 
Second, God controls all things according to the secret counsels of his eternal wisdom. And third, in the end, God's works will be vindicated. In case you're wondering, whatever happened to the woman whom I have named Grace, a real woman whose name I changed, but everything else is as I said. She was a woman who sought God, but was shocked to discover a sovereign God, even sovereign over her brother's suicide. After a great struggle and questions followed by questions, Grace eventually bowed her knee before God and admitted that he was God and that she needed to be reconciled to him. Today she's walking with Jesus and loves him deeply, for she knows that her Savior died in her place. We won't be able to answer all the questions around God's sovereignty, but I know that our answers are found in viewing things from two perspectives. From the narrow angle lens, we see the sins and the evil and the mistakes and the terrible trials that people face, the disappointments and griefs, and wonder, how can God the King be in charge? But he is in charge. From the wide angle lens, the psalmist says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. And in Psalm 135, verse seven, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. John, a great message, but also a great tragedy in the story of grace that you told. Uh, Can you tell me, how did she resolve it? How did she come to terms with it? Yeah, one of the things that we dealt with is that, first of all, we didn't really know what had happened eternally to her brother. I mean, that's within the mystery of God. I mean, he could have, you know, repented at the moment. Uh, We don't know that. But here's what Grace did find out, that had these events not happened, she would never have sought after God. It was, in a sense, a severe mercy to her. As tragic and as horrifying these events were, they drove her to the only place where answers could be found. And unless there's suffering in lives of people, it never drives them to the place where answers are found. And this is the sovereign rule of God. It took grace a while, but she really did come to her knees, and she really did confess Christ. Our God does what pleases Him. His purposes and His plans are certain. But that can be difficult to get our arms around, especially in extremely difficult circumstances like grace experienced. But be comforted in both the grand and the very personal. Your God is in control and in the end directs all things for His eternal glory and the long-term good of those who have been called according to His purposes. Make sure to join us next week as Dr. Neufeld continues the This Is Our God series, discussing one of the greatest mysteries of the Bible, the God in three persons. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Let me cut to the chase. God has blessed abundantly in our opportunity and privilege to share the truth of His Word across this great nation of Canada. I'm overwhelmed by the response of so many people speaking so highly of the daily Bible teaching of Dr. John Newfeld. So we give great thanks for you every day, and, and we become increasingly convicted of the importance of what we do. We also know that part of the privilege that we have has been extended to us through you. You are so much more than listeners. You are participants. For as much as you enjoy and are blessed, your response through prayer and your generosity 
is responsible for the tens of thousands of others that are blessed and encouraged each day. So, like I said, let me cut to the chase. We're privileged to offer Bible teaching every day, and we're privileged to be doing so for you and with you. Let's continue together for God's glory and for His purposes. To donate or for more information, email us at info at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425.